You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. Well, hey, what is up, Resonate Church? Uh, so good to be with you in this space. Hope you're doing incredibly well today. Uh, my name is Ben. I get to serve as the side pastor of our church down in Monmouth, Oregon. And I'm excited to get into uh, this sermon series that we began last week called Give Me a Sign, <laughs> where we're, we're beginning to try to explore how it is that we might discover uh, God's will for our lives. So uh, before we get into it, I wanted to start with a quick story uh, about me. <laughs> uh, my senior year of high school, a monumental year in my life, uh, the day finally came where I got to purchase my own first car. My own first car. And so on this day and leading up to this day, I'd get home from school and every day I'd hop on Craigslist, I'd search the classifieds uh, to try to find the perfect vehicle for myself. And, and when I finally did, I got the green light for my parents and I got to get my own first car. And this car, it was not cool. <laughs> it was not fancy, uh, but my name was on the registration. Um, and if you're wondering, it was a 1999 Subaru. So this car was reliable. Uh, it was bulletproof. Uh, this car was uh, spacious, it was practical, and it was really safe. Had a great all-wheel drive uh, system in it. So I drove this car for years. I loved this car. Got me to the rest of high school. Got me to college even for the first time. And it was great. Uh, but four years after that day, when I got to purchase my first car, uh, something happened. And you see what happened is this. Four years later, someone approached me and offered me a trade. They said, hey, Ben, I, I, I'm offering to trade you uh, your car straight across for my car. And so the offer was this, my Subaru for their 1983 Mazda, their 1983 Mazda. And this car was not reliable. <laughs> this car was, was not safe. This car was not practical at all. It was like a flying death trap. But what did this car have? This car had the cool factor. This car had the fancy factor. It had, it had pop-up headlights. When you turn the headlights on, the headlights would pop up out of the hood. And on that day, I was swayed by the pop-up headlights. <laughs> I agreed to trade cars with this guy. And as we exchanged our information, as we exchanged keys, we got in our cars and drove our separate ways. And as I drove away in my new 1983 car, I'm wondering, the thought floods into my mind, did I just make the worst decision of my life? Did I just make the biggest mistake I've ever made? And I came to find out fairly soon after that day that, yes, I made a terrible decision. You see, on that day, my junior year of college, four years after getting my first car, I, I wish that somehow, some way, someone had approached me in that moment when the deal was going down and said, Ben, don't do it, man. <laughs> don't get swayed by the fancy factor. Don't get swayed by the pop-up headlights. I wish that someone had come to give me some guidance. And so I know in, in the grand scheme of things, this is a, a goofy story, I know. Uh, but I think it illustrates something crucial about our lives. And it's this, uh, that you and I probably have dozens, if not hundreds, of stories like this in our lives. And it's likely that some of our regrets actually carry a far deeper weight than that of a poor automotive choice. 
Um, and so because of some of the decisions perhaps that we've made in the past, uh, it's natural for us to long for some kind of external guidance as we move forward. So we, we began this last week in our, in our series that we're calling Give Me a Sign. And, and just to lay our cards on the table, uh, we're, we're trying our best to equip you with the ability to comprehend God's will for our lives and, and to make decisions and live in light of who He is. Uh, but, but let's be honest, this is difficult. Uh, Google this week told me uh, that research, research is showing that on average, you and I are making about 70 conscious decisions every single day. 70. Uh, that, that math on that breaks down to about one conscious decision every 15 minutes. So even in the course of this sermon, you and I, we've got some decisions to make, don't we? <laughs> Uh, so granted, most of these decisions might be smaller and more trivial in nature, but some of them aren't, right? Some of these decisions that we're facing are enormous. Uh, so, so maybe for you, maybe you're coming to the end of your college career and you're asking the question, what do I do when I graduate? Uh, do, do I take this job or do I take this job? Do, do I even use my degree at all? Or maybe you're asking the question, uh, hey, should I ask her on a date? Or, or what if he asked me on a date? What do I say? Should, should I even date at all? <laughs> or, or maybe you're just beginning your college career and you're being flooded with questions about what you're going to major in, what you're going to study, what type of degree you're going to get. I don't say these, I don't give these scenarios to throw more weight on you if you're experiencing some of those right now. I say these things to not minimize the fact that these are major decisions that we're facing. And God's goal is not to, to leave us on our own to figure these things out. But, but rather to invite us into the full and flourishing life where we can experience the joy of submitting to his kingship and his will for us. So maybe for you at this point, uh, you're on board. <laughs> maybe for you, you'd say, uh, I agree. My regrets seem to be the data that back up the fact that sometimes I don't know what's best for my life. So I would like to not lean on my own understanding, but lean on the Lord's understanding. Uh, so the question for us in this still remains, how do we do this? How do we go about actually getting the guidance of God as we move forward in our lives? That's the question for us. So uh, today and over the next few weeks, our hope is to begin to unpack that question and identify how we can increasingly align ourselves with the will of God and be freed up from the grips of fear and paralysis in our decision-making. Um, so today, my hope is that we can begin to hone in on the reality uh, that God speaks through His Word, through His Word. Uh, so if you have your copy of Scripture, we're going to be in two places in our time today, uh, the first of which is going to be the Psalms, and specifically Psalm 119. So Psalm 119. And if you know the Psalms, you'll know that it's 150 chapters, 150 individual Psalms that are filled with poetry, with prayers, with songs, with hymns, and the longest of which is Psalm 119, uh, where we will find ourselves today. Uh, so in this, I want to just look at one verse, which in many ways is a type of summarization of the entire psalm. And that verse is 105. So Psalm 119, 105, it says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So simple enough, right? 14 words. Uh, maybe even perhaps you've seen this verse stamped on the side of a coffee mug somewhere. You might be familiar with this verse, but, but I think, I submit to you, 
there is some significant weight here in this verse. You see, if you were to take and look at the entirety of Psalm 119, you would see that there are 176 verses, <laughs> lots, lots of verses. And what's crazy is that 170 of the 176, that's a huge chunk, they make some kind of reference to the law or to the word of God. So what's the overarching theme in Psalm 119? It's essentially this. Uh, the psalmist is writing about his incredible love for anything God says. <laughs> so it's, it's like, God, anything that comes out of your mouth, I'm about it. Whether it's your law, your uh, commands, your precepts, whatever flows from your mouth, I want it, I need it. It's as, it's as if his very life depends on the words of God. And verse 105, our verse here, depicts a very specific type of reliance on the words of God. So real quick. What do we see? We see your word, Lord, is a lamp to my feet. A lamp to my feet. If you've ever hiked or walked a trail at night in the darkness in the woods, you know how vital it is to be able to see your feet. Right? As, as we're walking in the darkness and maybe there's some uneven terrain, some rocks or some sticks or, or some roots, um, it, it's likely that if we're not able to see our feet with some kind of external light, uh, we're bound to get hurt bound to twist an ankle or, or wind up injured. So it's vital that we see our feet, that we might be able to take steps forward on solid ground. And second, your word, Lord, is a light to my path. So a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So, so again, as we're, as we're walking around in the nighttime, in the darkness, uh, it is vital that we grab for a flashlight so that, that we can see the path in front of us. We can begin to see if the path goes left, if it goes right, if it goes up, if it goes down. We need to be able to see the path in front of us so that we don't wind up in the wrong place, we don't wind up lost. So what we see in this, in Psalm 119, is this, that without the illuminating light of God's word, it's like we're walking around in darkness. We're bound to wind up hurt. We're bound to wind up lost. We are helpless on our own. You see, the scriptures often depict life as a journey uh, that you and I are on. Uh, and if you know anything about journeys, you'll know that uh, this journey called life is much more complex than a journey like a road trip or a journey like a hike somewhere. But the resounding timeless truth that we begin to see, even with all the complexities that we face daily in our lives, is this, that God uses his word to reveal his will for our lives. God uses his word to reveal his will for our lives. So today for us, what does this mean? Um, and, and, and this means for us today, the Bible. God uses the Bible uh, to reveal his will for our lives. Um, so maybe the question for us is, is, what do we mean when we say Bible? What do we actually believe about uh, the Bible? So uh, three quick definitions, three quick words for us when it comes to uh, the Bible. Um, so number one, we believe the Bible is inspired. Inspired. And, and what this means is that uh, God is the Bible's definitive author. Uh, so while God used uh, human beings to record his words, it is God himself who is behind what they wrote. So we believe the Bible is inspired. Uh, second, we believe because of this, the Bible is infallible. The Bible is infallible. Uh, and this means that the Bible is incapable of error. It's infallible. 
And third, we believe the Bible is authoritative. Um, so this means that the Bible is our ultimate and final authority. Um, so, so again, all of these things, we begin to see uh, that God reveals his will in us through his word, which for us today is the Bible. So he's given us his word to align us with his will for our lives. Uh, however, real talk, if let's be honest, right, this process isn't nearly as intuitive as I think we would like it to be sometimes, right? You see, there, there's no passage of scripture that I, I can turn to that says, um, hey, you, you should date her. <laughs> there's no passage of scripture I can turn to that says, hey, you, you should major in blank, right? Uh, if, if you know me and my story, you'll know that I grew up around church people and church events and church rhythms. It wasn't until later in life in college where I heard the gospel and started to follow Jesus and became a Christian. Uh, but growing up, I, I would often hear the phrase um, that, that the Bible is the roadmap to life. The Bible's the roadmap to life. And lo looking back on this, I, I totally understand the sentiment in that. Uh, but the issue with this idea that the Bible is the roadmap to life uh, was that when I started to try to use the Bible like a roadmap for my life, it didn't work very well, right? I, I, would try to, uh, I would try to look for specific passages that would relate to my life, and I would take verses out of context. I would completely mishandle the scripture altogether, and I just wound up more confused and frustrated than before I even started. So, so we have to begin to understand that, that the Bible doesn't work the same way our navigation apps on our phones work. The Bible uh, doesn't work like a crystal ball to help us see into the future uh, so much as we might want that. Um, so the Bible is less like a map and, and is more like a compass. It's less like a step-by-step -step navigation for our life and more like a light in the darkness. So I, I just want to be straight up. We're going to get into some application and some practical in this, but just to be straight up, uh, there's no quick and easy answer when it comes to discovering the will of God in the Bible. Like, like, quick and easy is, is the way of our culture. I, I just ordered something on Amazon the other day and it showed up at my door the next day. Like quick and easy is the way of our culture. We have Amazon Prime, right? But quick and easy doesn't work when it comes to our souls. Quick, quick and easy doesn't work when it comes to us being formed into the image of Jesus. So that being said, what, what do we do in this? How, how do we begin to move forward and, and see how this plays itself out? So we'll be in one more place in Scripture uh, for our time today. And if you could, I would invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. In the book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, uh, we'll, we'll pick ourselves up in verse 1 of chapter 12. And Paul says this, therefore, that's right, he's saying, therefore, because of some stuff I've said previously, namely in chapters 1 through 11, because of all that, I've got some stuff to say, right? So Paul's moving from foundation now to application in his letter. So therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So he's saying, because God is rich in mercy, because God has made a way for us to be redeemed and rescued through Jesus, we should offer our entire bodies, that is our entire lives to God. And that's what worship is. That's what worship is. And in verse two, he begins to parse out what this actually 
looks like. So verse two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what, what is God saying here through the apostle Paul? Well, he's saying this in short. In order to understand and comprehend and live in light of God's will, uh, you and I need to be transformed. We need to be transformed. So really, I just want to make this clear. Like, If you don't hear anything else, hear this uh, today. Discovering God's will in his word is less about information and is more about transformation. This passage is less about information and is more about transformation. Discovering God's will for our lives. Less about information and more about transformation. And this is the heartbeat of the series, right? If we're honest, we're saying, God, give me a sign. And God's saying, no, I have a better way, right? So, so just to be straight up in this, discovering God's will in the Bible looks less like opening a fortune cookie and looks more like being formed into a new person. Discovering God's will looks less like uh, words in the skies and more like becoming wise. Discovering God's will looks less like seeing into the future and, and actually knowing the one who holds the future. Second um, Timothy uh, chapter three, we see one of the most cornerstone uh, texts that talk about the Bible. And in verse 15, it says this, that the Bible's purpose is to make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. So the, so the Bible's purpose, not, not to give us some secret knowledge about what's gonna happen 20 years in the future, but to help us be formed into a person namely who looks like Jesus. So how, how does this play itself out? How do we actually begin to do this? And I think the answer is in the text here. And Paul says this, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the renewing of your mind. So, so we need renewed minds. Our minds need to be made new and changed. You see, the mind plays an integral role in the process of transformation and therefore in discovering God's will. So uh, there's no quick and easy uh, path to this. However, uh, something of a formula to help us um, engage in the process of renewal. And, and it's this, it's awareness plus alignment equals renewal. Awareness plus alignment equals renewal. So we'll go through these uh, really briefly. Uh, first, awareness. Uh, this process of having our minds renewed begins with awareness. We, we need to become aware of something new if, if the goal is to have our minds made new. Um, so the question is, what do we need to become aware of? What, what do we need to have recognition of? And uh, I would say it's this, reality as defined by God. So truth. Colossians 3 uh, verse 10 says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So, so filling our minds with awareness, knowledge, and recognition of God himself revealed in his word. So something of a logic trail, if, if you kind of work that way. Uh, logically, if, if God is the author of all life, that means that he has defined all reality. Therefore, in order for us to get a grip on reality and ultimate truth, we should turn to the author of all life. And the author has perfectly revealed himself to us in his word. 
in the Bible. See, 2 Timothy 3.16, the next verse after verse 15, all scripture is God-breathed, is what that says. All scripture is God-breathed. God's breathed out words. And I think here's why this is vital. Here's why this is so important for you and I. Uh, We, according to Paul here in Romans 12, have been formed by the patterns of this world. We've been formed by the patterns of thinking of this world. And what we know about patterns and habits, right, is that patterns and habits are difficult to break. <laughs> if you've ever uh, tried breaking a habit or starting a new habit, you'll know that it takes discipline. It takes work. Uh, if, you, if you've ever had a close-up experience with addiction at all, uh, you see how challenging and, and even devastating uh, habits can be. So, so this is how this starts to play out. Uh, uh, an idea enters into our minds. And then our minds begin to uh, help us get to a place of having perception. And then perception begins to form our intuition. And then generally we, we begin to make actions and make decisions based on intuition. And actions over time turn into habits and habits over time turn into character. And character ultimately is who we are. So who we become in the end in some ways actually begins in the mind. And the truth is that our minds have been formed by counterfeit truths. You see, like the root sin of every sin that you and I might wrestle with is buying into the lie that something other than God can satisfy the longing of our hearts. And these thought patterns permeate our culture and we're immersed in them every single day. So in order to break these patterns, we need new recognition and new awareness that leads to new patterns. So real talk, real talk, question for you and I. Are your patterns of thinking primarily informed by the truths of God revealed in his word, or are they primarily informed by the world around us? Uh, This week as I was preparing for this, I was doing some research on this and the results uh, were were staggering to me. Uh, Studies and and research and surveys are showing that 55% of Gen Zers uh, are using their smartphone for five or more hours a day. 55%. Uh, just over a quarter, 26% uh, claim that they're using their smartphone for over 10 hours a day. Um, so, so I'm not saying you got to dump your phone. I'm not the anti-phone guy or the anti-internet guy, uh, but I am the anti-conformity guy, as should be all citizens of the kingdom of God. So the question in this is this, who are you and I becoming? Who, who are we becoming? Because we become what we behold. So if we're clocking hours on Twitter or TikTok, but we're struggling to clock hours immersing ourselves in the words of the King, what is primarily forming us? What's primarily forming us? Is it social media? Is it, is it the news? Is it uh, podcasts or Netflix? Man, some of these things are, are great gifts, but uh, Resonate Church, w- without a conscious patterned awareness of the Word of God, we will never be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We'll never arrive at a biblical worldview and we'll struggle to experience the renewing that leads to the discovering the will of God in our lives. So the question for you and I is, is what is our game plan for increasing awareness? What is our game plan for awareness? So that's awareness. And second, we see that we need alignment. Alignment. So we can't simply have a cognitive awareness of the Word of God. That's not enough. 
uh, this becomes painfully obvious in other areas of life. Um, so for example, uh, if you're driving down the street in your car and you see a stop sign, uh, you become immediately cognitively aware that the law says you need to stop your vehicle. Uh, so, so what do you do? You, you realize that that cognitive awareness leads to alignment with the law. So if you were in the car with someone who recognized they saw a stop sign, they had awareness that they needed to stop their car, but then they continued to floor it and, and go through the stop sign, you should probably get out of the car, right? The, the goal of awareness is that it would lead to alignments. Uh, so when it comes to the Word of God, this means in some ways, as James begins to put it in the New Testament, it's not enough to just be a hearer of the Word. Uh, as the people of God, we should also be doers of the Word. So just, just to put this really plainly so that there's no mistaking in this, um, if you or I are walking in willful and acknowledged disobedience to the ways and the design of God, and at the same time, we're, we're asking and begging God for clarity or wisdom about something in our lives, uh, we are working against ourselves. That, that's not the way this works. That's not what God has invited you and I into. So I'm, I'm not saying in this that you and I have to be perfect. We have to take our imperfections at the cross of Jesus and repent and believe. Um, but what I am saying is that we need to make an internal resolution to commit and align with the words and the ways of God as we read and become aware. So this means that when we come to the Bible, and maybe we come to a passage where we, we disagree with the Bible, <laughs> we, come to, we come to a text that's maybe difficult or hard for us or challenging for us, when we disagree with the Bible, uh, gently, lovingly, um, God's not wrong. You and I are wrong. And gently, God wants to help us see that, that His ways are higher than our ways, that His thoughts are above our thoughts, and that when we relinquish control and personal autonomy, He can guide us into the green pastures and still waters of life in His kingdom. Uh, so awareness plus alignment equals renewal. And at the intersection of awareness and alignment, by the empowerment of, of God the Holy Spirit, we can begin to experience this renewal, the renewing of our minds. So for the last uh, few minutes here, I wanted to give some helpful steps for, for application in our lives in this. So, so how, how does this actually play itself out as we get into our Bibles uh, day by day as we open them up and seek guidance and wisdom from God's own words? Um, and I would, I would just say to you, like, this is something you can start right now and set yourself up on a trajectory for, for the rest of your life. Um, so let's say in your life, uh, as an example, you're trying to make a decision right now. Uh, three things, three questions, three thoughts to think through as you get in God's word, as you're faced with decisions and faced with circumstances in your life. So first, ask yourself the question, is this clearly covered by a command? Is this decision clearly covered by a command? I know that most of the complex decisions that you and I face aren't probably covered by clear commands of Scripture. Uh, however, some are. Some are. So this, this is fairly straightforward, but it's, it's worth mentioning. Um, and, and most of these decisions may lie in the realm of being uh, moral or ethical decisions. Um, but, but the question to ask is, are there any commands that God has given that would bear on my life as a disciple of Jesus? So if you're facing a complex situation, a decision, we should begin asking a question, what does God say about this? Is there a clear command that he's given? So ask the, ask the question as best you can. 
What would making this decision cause me to directly disobey Jesus? Would, would making this decision inevitably cause me to sin against God or others? And, and this happens best, I think, also in the context of community. Do this with community. As community, uh, you together get into the Word. So ask the question, is this clearly covered by a command? Uh, the answer is no. Then begin to, number two, identify and apply principles. Identify and apply principles. Uh, so in this, to be clear, much of the Bible was written to specific people in specific historical situations. Uh, so what couldn't have been true for them can't be true for you and I today. Um, so this is why context is key. This is why the work of interpretation as we get into the scriptures is key. But once we begin to understand the author's original intent and understand the context, we can begin asking the question, what is the timeless truth or principle that we begin to see in this passage or in this text in the scriptures? Uh, so if you, if you know the, the key shape in, in our huddle shapes, uh, you, you know that kind of the primary focus and the centerpiece of the key shape is to ask the question as we do DTs, uh, what is the key timeless truth? Uh, that's just another way to ask the question, what is the principle here? Um, so principle, again, is, is a timeless truth that can't be broken. And, and sometimes these are stated, sometimes these are implied, sometimes they're simply illustrated. But every decision that you and I, uh, are going, that you and I make is going to cross paths with a principle from the Bible. Uh, so just an example. In, in my personal devotion time, I have been reading through the book of Exodus. And just recently, I, I stumbled, uh, came across the chapter where uh, God begins to give his people, give the Israelites as they're wandering in the desert, uh, bread from the heavens. So bread starts coming down from the heavens. And so as I'm reading this, as I'm journaling, I'm, I'm asking the question, what is the timeless truth here? What's the principle here? Uh, so, so is the principle that I should um, quit my job and stop hitting up the grocery store and start waiting for food to fall down from the sky? No, of course not, right? But, but I think the principle that begins to emerge in this is this, uh, that God is a good provider, that God has always provided for his people. He's a good father, and I can trust him. That begins to affect the way that I live and the way that I do life. So look for principles and identify principles. Uh, number three, finally, Look for the characteristics of God. Uh, it's been said that our view of God affects everything about the way that we live. It might even be the most important thing about us. Uh, so in this, as you get into the scriptures, as you get into the word, begin to identify the characteristics of God. Ask the question, what is he like? What are his ways? And we'll begin to see that he's never changed and he never will. And because of that, we can trust him. Um, but maybe more than, than any of that, we have to begin to see in the scriptures that uh, God is primarily making an invitation to you and I. He's making an invitation. You see, the King of glory, the, the God of the universe himself, beckons us in his word to come and see what he is like. And, and you might be asking the question, why? Why, why would God do that? And the answer is this, because we were made for him. We were made for him. You see, if you go, if you go to page one of our Bibles, you begin to see our origin story. You, you see that God made us to know him, to reflect his image, to reflect his glory, to be glad in him, to submit to him. 
But on page two, we decided that we knew better. We, we loved created things over the creator, the one who gave us life. And our rebellion fractured everything. Our sin demanded that we be removed from the presence of a holy and perfect God. But the greatest news in the universe is this, that God didn't leave us in our lost and hopeless condition, wandering around in darkness. No, because of his great love, uh, Jesus, God in the flesh, at a moment in human history, enters into our story. And despite his absolute perfection, he climbs onto a Roman cross to take upon himself the penalty for our sin and rebellion. And on the cross, the righteous son of God is treated like a sinner so that sinners like you and I might be treated as adopted sons and daughters. You see, Jesus goes into the grave and on the third day, he rises again victoriously, proving his defeat over sin and death forever. It's the greatest news in the universe. It's what we call the gospel. So, so the question as we get into our Bibles, what, what is God like? What, what is God like? What's the nature and character of God? Well, the gospel is an incredible place to start. I say, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And so once you begin realizing that the entirety of Scripture acts like a big arrow pointing to King Jesus, you can begin to read it for what it really is. You, you begin to see that despite our shortcomings, our flaws, our regrets, our sin, God makes an invitation through Jesus to come and find our hope our rest, and our security in Him. And He does this all for a glorious purpose. He does it for a glorious reason. And it's so that His thoughts might become our thoughts. So that His ways might become our ways. That His affections might become our affections. So as we, as we get into this, look for the characteristics, the nature of God. I wanted to end our time with a quote uh, from a pastor named Kevin DeYoung. I thought it was helpful in this. And he says this, We become what we behold. God wants us to behold him in his glory so that we can be transformed into his likeness. If God figured everything out for us, we wouldn't need to focus on him and learn to delight in his glory. God says, I'm not giving you a crystal ball. I'm giving you my word. So meditate on it. See me in it and become like me. Resonate Church, this is the path to discovering God's will in the Bible. May we be a people who do this. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word, God. God, we're so grateful that you haven't left us to figure out this life on our own, but that you've given us your word to guide us, to lead us into the full and the flourishing life. Uh, to help free us from the grips of analysis paralysis, God. So God, as we get into this, would you, would you help us begin to see that your word is living and active, that you are speaking even today through your word? And God, would you increasingly help us trust you and rely upon you? God, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest, or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.